Thanks to this season's presenting sponsor, Kohler. They design innovative sinks and faucets for people who do their best work in the kitchen. So you ever heard of homesteading? It's this idea of living with self-sufficiency. You grow your own food, make your own clothing, basically living off your land. Shortly after the pandemic began, author M. Shelley Connor and her partner Tiffany decided to pursue the homestead lifestyle. Shelley identifies herself as dapper, a lifestyle and aesthetic that often entails expertly coordinated suits, vests, and curated accessories. Picture Janelle Monet, who BuzzFeed named the Queen of Dapper. So, what happens when homesteading and dapper, two seemingly incompatible lifestyles, come together? Well, you're about to find out. Imagine an elegant dinner. Rosemary smoked trout with lemon vinaigrette, wasabi arugula, and red leaf salad, all served on a beautifully handcrafted dinner table of concrete top and wooden base. Imagine the host of the dinner is very dapper in style. Two-toned wingtip Oxfords, neckties secured with an eldritch knot, fitted waistcoat, and dress shirt with cufflinks. Let's make those rainbow cufflinks. Now imagine if that host caught the trout, smoked it, grew the arugula, red leaf lettuce, and lemon, prepared and cooked the meal, and also built that table on which it's served. Dapper is most often associated with a particular style of dress and curated fashion, while homesteading is a self-sustainable lifestyle, smaller scale than farming, where people produce and craft much of their own food, energy, and even living space. Together, Dapper Homesteading, I'm really just combining the two, present a curated lifestyle where a dapper aesthetic is maintained within a self-sustainable practice. I craft my own spaces and produce my own food, both as much as my developing skill set allows. I style those spaces, meals, and my own appearance with a dapper eye. Dapper and homesteader may seem polar opposites, but for me, they work harmoniously. But I wasn't always like that. I was more of a city gal, a Chicagoan, someone who thrived in metropolitan spaces. Today on Proof from America's Test Kitchen, the journey from urbanite to dapper queer homesteader. I'm Kevin Pang. Stick around. Writer M. Shelley Connor brings us today's story. The Black lesbian community in Chicago is a vibrant, supportive space in which I thrived as an organizer. As a Black queer woman, I'm marginalized in so many spaces, both personal and professional. I prioritize finding, creating, and participating in safe spaces and communities. I hosted Open Mic Poetry through Queer Square Collective, a nonprofit I founded for queer artists of color. I threw parties in the basement of my Southside home called the Fun Salon. I kind of imagined it being a contemporary homage to Alalia Walker's Dark Tower parties during the Harlem Renaissance. It was a whole vibe. 
It was in the city where I learned to curate my dapper aesthetic. From historical figures like Gladys Bentley, to Black masculine of center women in my community, to celebrities like Janelle Monet, I pulled inspiration to fashion my own unique expression. I was also experimenting with producing YouTube videos about tying bow ties and sharing my experiences as a dapper queer Black woman. By 2014, I had finished up my Ph.D. program and the first draft of my novel, Every Man. I was on the academic job market, and things were looking bleak. In academia, you go to whatever university is hiring in your discipline, wherever that may be. I tried to keep my head up, but those were dark times. My family, friends, and the Black lesbian community on the South Side were supportive spaces. By 2016, I found myself dating while broke. I feel like that would make a good reality TV series. I recently debated something similar on the interwebs. The question arose in a Black lesbian Facebook group if someone was ready for dating if they weren't financially stable. Needless to say, I had strong feelings about this. Poor folk deserve love too. To have romance, intimacy, I can go on and on about this, but suffice to say, my dating life was mirroring my job search and publication queries. It was a whole lot of not being the right fit. But then I met Tiffany. We met on OkCupid and I was new to the app. So I talked to one other person. It was like, hey, hey, and that was it. And then... I got a message from you. Yeah. um, Reached out and um, two things kind of leapt out that you enjoyed bourbon and uh, your favorite food was Brussels sprouts. Yes. Nature's candy. Still my favorite food. (laughs) Our first date was to C2E2 or Chicago Comic-Con. And we had a fancy dinner reservation afterwards. The thought was we'd do something light and fun in the daytime, have a reprieve in case one or both of us wasn't feeling it, so a built-in cancellation option. And then dressed up dinner and dancing at the club across the street from the restaurant in Chicago's neighborhood, Boys Town, now referred to as North Halsted. Tiffany and I were inseparable after that first date. I introduced her to the Black Queer Southside, As I mentioned, money was tight for me, so subsequent dates relied on my dating superpower, cooking impressive meals at home and curating creative experiences. I had to be extremely resourceful, so I went back to my culinary and style inspirations. Hello, I'm Julia Child. And... Hi, y'all are. I'm glad for you to see me, I guarantee. That second voice belongs to Justin Wilson, the Cajun chef. He always wore this red floppy bow tie and matching suspenders. Wilson interspersed storytelling and Cajun patois into his show, and I suppose it's what we would refer to as his brand. Another unexpected dapper inspiration was from the TV series Hannibal. There were these beautifully rendered scenes of Mads Mikkelsen, Hannibal, dressed to the nines and referencing elegant hand-scripted recipe cards to prepare complicated French dishes as classical music played in the background. It was exquisite, 
if not for the fact that Hannibal Lecter was probably cooking people. I'm pretty sure that was the series creator's intention. Apparently, I'm not alone in appreciating it. The show's food stylist created Feeding Hannibal, a connoisseur's cookbook. It really added to the fusion of energy I had going on at the time when we were dating in early 2016. Meals I made with Tiffany looked like this. I'm at the fish market on 71st and State for catfish and blue crab, the meat market in the West Loop for steaks, grabbing oysters and mussels, searing on the stove, grilling and smoking on this barrel grill I bought from a guy that sells them on the West Side. Julia, Justin, even Hannibal would be proud. When I was cooking all those things, I was also processing the limitations of store-bought ingredients, how much latitude is given for calling items fresh or organic. At the time, I remember thinking that I'd be able to afford better when I landed a better position. But then... Hundreds of people a year get sick from foods that have been recalled. The CDC now telling people to throw away any romaine lettuce they may have already bought, no matter if it's chopped or part of a mix. All of it should go. I gardened because food that you grow tastes more flavorful and feels healthier. But seeing the cleared-out grocery shelves and my own financial struggles made me start thinking seriously about food security. What if I bought a homestead, I thought. Homesteading might have seemed like a leap, but I wanted better control over what I ate, how I ate, where it came from. With homesteading, it's all about a self-sustainable lifestyle in which you grow and produce your own food to varying degrees. Some folks raise meat and grow vegetables, producing close to 100% of their food. It's not a new concept. I was born and raised in Chicago, but my mother hails from Memphis, Tennessee. They grew vegetables and raised and processed meat. Homesteading appealed to me because it was smaller scale than farming and seemed to prioritize the home with land being secondary. I've been a lifelong gardener, and in many ways it felt to me to be a next step. My garden would give us a couple of nice salads or a couple of pots of greens, I dreamed of what it would be like to sustain produce for every meal. Plus, I was on the academic job market and more than likely would be leaving Chicago to go who knows where. But there was this new love in Chicago. Turns out, those dinner dates and the homemade dishes I made had a powerful hold on Tiffany. You know how much I love a plan and like that. And I can't believe... That you saying to me, like, I'm in this job market, I I could end up anywhere, all of this uncertainty. And it's so wild that I was like, it's fine. Like, I'll go where you go. We'll figure it out. The next year in Chicago was such a cluster of emotional turmoil. My father passed in March. I had to take care of his personal effects and plan and execute the memorial. We had extensive flood damage in the fun salon, and we're getting repairs. And then one day... There was some gunfire mm-hmm. that was a lot closer than it's ever been. So close that we actually had to hit the floor to where it sounded like, okay, it's right outside the house. Um, it sounded like it was in the alley right behind us. And we had to hit the floor. 
No bullets or anything came through the house, but it sounded like they could. And I'm just kind of laying there and I like start slowly start to cry. Cause I'm like, what is like, what is going on? I look over and I see this slow tear rolling down her cheek. Denzel she and Glory. Denzel and Glory, <laughs> right? So Chicago, we both love Chicago more than anything. You were born and raised there. I got my first big girl job there. Got, you know, raised up the ranks in my careers. I love and forever will love mm-hmm. Chicago, period, end of story. However, Chicago was starting to not love us back. Tiffany and I spent a lot of time talking about our future and what we wanted out of life. The things that we value the most were establishing some generational wealth, getting ourselves somewhere, getting land, and passing it on to family. Another thing that was so very important to us because we were kind of dealing with some things in Chicago was safety. I'd like to say that Tiffany and I were 100% intentional in choosing Arkansas. Both of our fathers were from Arkansas, but that's just kismet, I guess. Coincidence to which we attribute greater meaning. In reality, Arkansas chose us. I interviewed at the University of Central Arkansas in December 2017, about a week before my birthday. I remember thinking that a job offer would be an amazing 41st birthday present. Turned out to be a great belated birthday, but early Christmas gift. And even though our discussions about buying land and homesteading were more ideological at that point, we did note that we were moving to a region that was ideal for it. But it was a new move, and we wanted to ease into our new home state. We rented a house near the university for the first two years in Arkansas to get the lay of the land. There certainly was concern about being two Black queer women moving into the cinched Bible belt of the Confederacy. We worried that we might be trading one harm for another. We started thinking about how we could create our own safe space in the South and agreed that it would indeed look like homesteading. We started documenting our journey on the first incarnation of our Connor Homestead YouTube channel, at the time called Dapper Vista DIY and more. I was trying to connect all the seemingly disparate pieces of myself to see what it presented as a whole picture— And I was particularly aware that the YouTube landscape has Black folks and queer folks and homesteaders, but I hadn't really found the intersections. And I wanted my communities, people who have been really emotionally invested in our journey, to see that they can do this too, in whole or in part. The idea of Connor Homestead was about our family, our home, and our ideas about food security, land acquisition, and creating a safe space for people that aren't always safe in mainstream spaces. These are the traits that define us. A large part of homesteading is about the why. Some homestead for healthier food options. Some as a means of self-sustainability. Others as a way of prepping for the unthinkable or when the mess hits the fan. We wanted to create a safe space where we could one day host a fancy meal from vegetables we've grown and meat we've processed, maybe even on a table that I'd built. 
I was taking a deep dive into the dapper aesthetic to make connections with homesteading and found those connections rooted in my own culture. It all seemed possible. I found new historical culinary inspirations that really fed my drive for getting back to my roots in food prep, which will always lead back to the land. I was inspired by series like High on the Hog with host Stephen Satterfield. We call our food soul food. The truth is, a lot of American food has its roots in African-American food. Oprah. Here's today's bounty. This was the big find this morning. Look at that. Head of cabbage just picked. Oh my goodness, as big as my head. And Khalees of Milkshake fame. What's up? I'm Khalees and this is Bounty Farms. Come and I'll take you around. I think finding the right place was probably what took the longest. Like I was already resolved that I was ready to do it and then it was just finding the spot. Obviously, all we had to do was secure the perfect homestead property. We were two Black queer women gallivanting around the South to find our Black queer-topia. How hard could it be? Now we turn to a trend no one wants to see or hear about right now, but according to data compiled by the New York Times, Arkansas's recent uptick in cases is the highest in the nation. When the pandemic hit, it was hard not to think that perhaps we moved too slowly with our homesteading goal. We really began to romanticize it more. If we had the land, we'd be more isolated. We'd have access to fresh produce. It's important to note that there was no Uber Eats or grocery delivery pre-pandemic in our area. Also, people were taking their isolation to experiment with bread making, crafts, gardening, and other homesteading practices. Most recalled the toilet paper scarcity, but there also were shortages of yeast for bread making. It may have been a temporary pandemic fling for others, like the roller skates we purchased, but for us, the pandemic gave us an opportunity to put our ideals into motion. It's a weird experience, searching for a place to build a safe space, but the search itself places you in spaces that don't feel safe at all. We needed to be able to control as much as we could, Control the controllables, from our daily experiences to our homestead search. In our short time in Arkansas, we've had mostly pleasant experiences, like our lengthy time in Chicago. But it's the few but impactful events that linger. Tiffany put it this way. I mean, racism is everywhere. So that was one of the things, because people's first thoughts are like, you moved to the Bible Belt, you're in the Deep South, you're queer, you're Black, and all of those things. Of the many times that I went fishing alone and had wonderful conversations with strangers, it's the one where, after talking, the guy gets in his truck and spends donuts yards from where I sat, allowing the very large Confederate flag attached to his truck to fly. Or the time that Tiffany insisted on going with me and two young guys pulled really closely to where we fished and started chucking melons into the water near our lines. These are the experiences that plagued our thoughts as we searched for our forever homestead. Fortunately, we eventually found Bobby Cushman as a realtor, a Black gay man that understood our concerns for safety and could speak to those concerns. When we visited properties and asked, will we be safe here, we didn't have to explain the nuances of that question. 
And when we were at properties that clearly were not safe for us, he didn't need any prompting in getting us out of there. And then, in December 2020, two days before my birthday. Hello, family and friends. We've got news. When we return... We... Oh, yeah. We are homestead owners. Yes! <laughs> Eating great food is one thing. The prep and cleanup afterwards is, well, something else. That's where Kohler comes in. When prepping for recipes, you can tell the voice-controlled faucets to dispense measured amounts of water. Kohler's faucets also feature a sweep spray to quickly get any gunk off of your dishes. Even if your hands are messy, you can wave on and off the touchless faucets. That way, you can clean with ease. Visit Kohler.com to learn more. Hey friends, it's Kevin Pang. In past seasons of Proof Ads, we've interviewed some of the engineers that make OXO's amazing kitchen tools. But did you know that OXO also makes cookware? Their new carbon steel and stainless steel offerings mean there's a perfect pan for every dish in your repertoire. AT case picks for nonstick pans just got upgraded. The OXO Nonstick Pro is now also available in ceramic. And their tri-ply stainless steel pots and pans have amazing heat conductivity, which is great for fast and even cooking. They're also stain resistant, which keeps them looking new. Plus, they're oven safe, which is perfect when I'm making my favorite roast chicken. Find your tools at OXO.com. Right now, OXO is offering a special discount for proof listeners. Just use the code ATK15 for 15% off on OXO.com. That's OXO.com. OXO, better guaranteed. A lot of companies we know and love began as a shared family dream. That origin story is similar for the Veroni family. You know the one. They've been making authentic Italian charcuterie since 1925. The five Veroni brothers made it their mission to produce high-quality charcuterie from their family's roots in a small town in the Emilia-Romagna region. It's the home of beloved meats like Italian prosciutto, mortadella, and other great salamis. Today, the fourth generation of Veronis are producing genuine Italian cured meats and sharing them with the world. For more information on the Veroni family's recipes, artisanal techniques, and meats, visit Veroni.com. That's V-E-R-O-N-I.com. And now, back to our story. It's been quite the learning curve, doing the homesteading thing. I've had to learn to use a zero-turn riding mower. For the uninitiated, it's called zero-turn because the turning radius of the mower is, well, zero inches, which means that mower can turn on a dime. So a lot of firsts here today on the homestead. So I will also, as this ham smokes, be... Uh, <laughs> cutting the grass here using a zero turn for the first time. A prime example of me doing the most. It's such a rewarding high when everything pays off, but it doesn't leave much room when things get a little dicey. 
When the electric gate you've been repairing unlocks and a neighbor decides to roll through it, riding side saddle on a four-wheeler just as your dog is out and at risk of fleeing the property and potentially getting hit in the road again. But there you are, well, there I was, learning to operate the zero-turn lawnmower. We've had setbacks. Our first winter brought an epic snowstorm and area power outages right before our solar panel installation. And each season proves that it can outdo me at doing the most. What's a woman to do if not document the journey? So in addition to being a new homesteader, new professor, newly published author with my novel Everyman, I decided to also become a new YouTuber. Once I figured out how to be dapper clean while getting dirty on the homestead. It was a move from waistcoats to utility vests, bow ties to bandanas, Oxfords to work boots. Cargo chic. See? The most. I truly believe that it's important to document this process. I know when I was looking for homesteaders on YouTube, Black homesteaders in particular, there's Homestead Heart. And I am out here today doing some seed starting. Gardening with Princess. I wanted to do something for people who may not have a yard or they live in an apartment and they have a small patio that they can grow a lot of food in a small space. Lead Farmer 73. I just wanted to see with the garden season coming up soon, maybe you might want to try to grow something a little different. And there are others. But because it's so difficult, and because of the equipment that's required, a lot of times you don't have people recording this stuff as they're doing it. So I definitely want to contribute positive Black YouTube content with regard to homesteading and gardening. I still had that vision, being a dapper host surrounded by family and friends on our land as far as the eye could see. For our first summer on the homestead in 2021, we decided that we'd celebrate Juneteenth. We'd harvest whatever we grew that year, no matter how small the amount, and prepare it. Ideally, each year we'll produce larger harvests until eventually the entire celebratory meal will come from the land. I planted tree collards. Collard greens are my favorite vegetable to grow and eat ever since I was a child. You know why you started cooking collard greens, right? That's my mom, Jerry Connor. She loves telling this story. Because that's what you grew. You came home from nursery school one day and you said that, told auntie that at your school, they said if you put some grass seeds on a sponge, you can grow some grass. And she said very colorfully, no, baby, we don't grow no grass. You can't eat grass. I'm going to fix you a garden. And she came over and she planted those two little collard plants out by the fence near the alley. And uh, they said, if you read a book to your plants, if you read to them, they'll grow real good. So you figured out that if you read a book, they would grow better. You decided you'd read the Bible, and they would grow even better. I certainly was an early reader. My mom's a retired Chicago public librarian. But this was early elementary for sure. I was probably about six, maybe in second grade. Don't do the math. I was always youngest in my class, but that's a story for a different podcast. But you might want to keep my young age in mind for this next bit. So you read those plants about 
three, four weeks, they started growing. And we left and went on vacation to California. It was so pretty. We came back, somebody had gone over the fence and had taken your greens. I was an enterprising youth. So quite naturally, young Shelley's thoughts turned to vengeance and murder. Do you remember Sidney? He said, uh, uh, you were telling him you were, you were not going to make a garden again because somebody was going to take them. And he said, oh, you can make a garden. He said, but when you get ready to go on vacation, put some flour on the leaves and they'll think it's poison and they won't bother. And you said, I want some real poison on <laughs> I want some real poison on it. Apparently, I don't play about my collards, and that goes for present-day Shelley as well. So we started seeds in our first spring in 2021, and I was really drawn to the purple tree collard variety because, well, it's a tree. Imagine your favorite plant has a tree variety. And in warmer climates like Arkansas, they can survive year-round or even come back in subsequent years. So I ordered a mix of collard and kale seeds. It's a mix, so I don't know what's what. Some are collards, purple collards, and some are kale. Seeds were planted and just started to germinate quickly. After a few weeks, purple tree collards, they are ready to transplant. I uh, transplanted some of them already into buckets. They were so gorgeous. Tree collards are really tall, like six feet when mature. And the purple collards have this deep eggplant purple stem. I had successfully germinated about 10 seeds into healthy seedlings ready for transplanting. But then, enter Acme Anvil. Y'all, something is eating my tree collards, and I don't know what it is, but... It's probably a big animal because it's taking the whole head off of them like this. If anybody has any idea what is doing this, let me know. Since I'd outgrown my murder-vengeance stage and Connor Homestead is all organic and natural, we had to find creative ways to fight back. Okay, so we've come out here and decided to do some preventative measures on whatever animal has just been decimating. Manhandling. <laughs> just ripping the tops off the collars. All right, so we've got some of this mesh or garden tool and we've tinted our collection here. The fate of Juneteenth rested on these collard greens. They really were meant to be a unifying activity for my family. We grew them, we'd harvest them together, I'd cook them, and we'd eat them. I felt like Wiley Coyote and Elmer Fudd in my complete ineptitude. Whatever's eating it has to get up on this deck and through the pet gates. Um, I know, of course, it could be a bunny, it could be a squirrel or something like that, and it's doing it at night. So it's preferring to do that instead of eating the ones over here by the garage. Now, of course, these are already getting torn up by all those little worms. It was like the Grinch who stole Juneteenth by stealing the collard trees. Suddenly, because that's what happens when you're trying to do so many things at once, it's Juneteenth 2022, and there are no homestead-grown collard greens. 
My mom has always insisted that if you're serving green vegetables, you must have a bread. And if you're cooking greens, that bread must be cornbread. So you put the hot water in the batter? Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a paste now, so that hot water uh, gets it to this texture. Mm-hmm. And it has to be really hot. That's my Aunt Doris, who flew in from California, showing us how to make hot water cornbread, which occurred after a lively debate between my mother, Uncle Ron, and Aunt Joetta, who joined us from South Carolina. Uh-uh, that's just fried cornbread. Yeah, well, that's just, saying, that's just the same cornbread. thing you would have you would have put in the oven. Yeah, right. Fried, like a pancake. Right, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. let's stick it in the oven, but I have mm-hmm. never heard of hot water cornbread. Hot water cornbread. How about fried? ash cake? It's the day before Juneteenth, and this day is about family. And I realized that I had a wealth of information in mind. To be able to listen to them share their experiences and then demonstrate and pass on their knowledge to us is invaluable. Although we had to make do with store-bought greens from the grocery. I'd cook and we'd eat them. All we needed was each other. We didn't need an actual harvest or some custom table to serve it. Hey, welcome to Connor Homestead. In preparation for our Juneteenth celebration on the homestead, I am working on a new project. I am making a concrete top pub table for our outdoor deck. This is my first time working with concrete. I'm learning a lot, of course, the hard way. I know, I'm the queen of doing the most. We weren't going to have homestead collard greens, but we were going to have a fancy concrete top deck table. I started to feel like my dapper aesthetic was spreading to the homestead space that I was curating. The smooth concrete top had a streak of charcoal pigment in an accidentally cool sort of way. Its base made of big box store clearance wood sanded and dressed in cedar stain. The whole piece served functional chicness. But in order to get it from my workshop to the deck, well, it was going to require all hands on deck. The perfect unifying activity. It might be kind of hard to make out, but that's the sound of a family that's been roped into moving a 500-pound tabletop. The clearest voice is my mother supervising from the sidelines. And we were successful. Yes! Success! I really believe that we constantly put things out in the universe. Goals, dreams, thoughts, desires. And they do come back to us. Sometimes they're not instantly recognizable to us, being changed and filtered through our anxieties and fears, and having to contend with our insistence that they present themselves in a certain way. I spent the first year and a half hyper-focusing on tree collards that struggled and apparently ignoring garlic that had bloomed. All right, our first harvest for Juneteenth, our second annual Juneteenth. Yes. And... Here it goes. One, two, two, three, <laughs> pull! Oh, oh, my God. God. 
I love a good plan, but sometimes the best experiences are those that divert from the original plan. We used the garlic to make a garlic butter compote for a seafood boil the following day, the actual June 19th. As for what it means to be a dapper queer homesteader, I'm learning and shaping it as I go. Creating my dapper aesthetic and embarking on the homesteading journey have both resulted in similar lessons. All things have their seasons. Trial and error are essential for development. And you can always go back to the basics. But being able to fellowship with my loved ones on this land is the truest measure of success. Father, we thank you for allowing us to assemble here today and celebrate this Juneteenth, Lord. Father, we ask why we're here. Father, as you bless this food, Lord, bless us so we may go forth and we may do all things together in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks to M. Shelley Connor for bringing us today's story. If you like Proof, be sure to subscribe wherever you listen so you'll get new episodes as soon as they drop. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating or write us a review? It really helps other people find the show. This episode of Proof is hosted by me, Kevin Pang, and the podcast is made by the following cast of characters. I'm Yumi Araki, the managing producer. I'm executive producer Caitlin Kelleher. I'm Terrence Johnson, and I'm the associate producer. I'm Alex Curran Cartarelli, and I'm also an associate producer. I'm Vanessa Bartlett, and I'm the production intern. I'm Bridget Lancaster, creator and the founding host and producer. Scoring, sound design, and mixing by Matt Boynton, Chester Gwazda, and Anya Gzeshik of Ultraviolet Audio. Brian Campbell of Signal Sounds composer theme music. Additional music by Cal Forster and Jordan Pearson. Ken Margolis. Is our director of post-production, and our director of production is... Diane Knox. Fact-checking and additional research by... Angela Yang. Special thanks to Tiffany Connor, Jerry Connor, Marcus Connor, Ron and Joetta Gantz, Rhonda Gantz, Doris Koykendall, Shawnee Sullivan, James and Rolanda Eatman, Vivian Eatman, James Eatman Jr., Yolanda Williams, Carla Carter, Ronnie Fortenberry, and Etta Carter for celebrating Juneteenth 2022 on Connor Homestead. Jack Bishop is the Chief Creative Officer of America's Test Kitchen and David Nussbaum is America's Test Kitchen's CEO. Thanks to our sponsors, Kohler, Oxo, Safisana, Sengoku, and Veroni. Proof is a production of America's Test Kitchen. <laughs>